Hello and welcome back to our podcast, Where Do I Know Them From? As always, my name is Alexandra. And I'm Elizabeth. And this is the penultimate episode of our Sam Claflin season. That's right, folks. We only Aww. have two more Sam movies to talk about tonight and next week. And so I really hope that you stick with us right until the bitter end so we can announce who our next season is going to be. Yeah. Very exciting. This movie, not a great penultimate movie. <laughs> Elizabeth, take us away. Yep. So our Letterboxd reviews, it was tough for me to find one written in English because I do not speak German or Spanish or French and also funny. So here is my best shot. Two stars. Unsure if this was for kids. Two blah. Then we have five stars. I will never not be hung up on artists who died before they could finish their art. That's this really was a rare majors, like <laughs> this was a rare five star review for this movie. I really dug to find one. You're welcome. Uh, and then we have three and a half stars. What movies made by Chad GPT would look like? <laughs> Which very I modern review <laughs> was very silly. But oh yeah, I goodness. think that a little bit gets to our criticisms of the animation, perhaps. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. This movie was Charlotte. And it was an animated movie, our first animated movie for Sam, which is exciting, new and different for him. It came out in 2021 and was directed by Eric Warren and Tahir Vanna. It was screenwritten by Eric Rutherford and David Besmoses. It was edited by Roderick Diogrides and Sam Patterson. It was based on Life or Theater, which is Charlotte Salomon's autobiographical painting series. Charlotte Salomon was a German Jew who grew up or became like a young woman during the Holocaust. And this is an autobiographical painting series of like over a thousand paintings that she did while she was in France in like the mid to later years of the Holocaust. It is 92 minutes long and it has a pretty stacked cast of Karen Knightley as Charlotte, Brenda Blothin as her grandmother, Jim Rodbent as her grandfather, Sam Claflin as Eric Nagler, the man who would go on to be her future husband. Who would go on to be her future husband. <laughs> Henry Cherney, Eddie Marsan, Helen McCrory, Sophie Oconado, and Mark Strong, who Sweet. we've seen before. In the way back, in Muppets Most Wanted. Only in Sersha, not in Sam. Not in Sam. I know we've seen Brenda Blothin from Atonement and Jim Broadbent. Jim Broadbent's just around. A few of those are frequent collaborators, although all of them are frequent collaborators with Sersha. Shout out to Brenda Blothin, Jim Broadbent, and Mark Strong, and Eddie Marsan, and Helen McCrory, actually, honestly. Like, the whole cast yeah. was kind of a throwback to Sersha's season. Yeah, and Helen McCrory was even in Loving Vincent, which is, like, the same movie, but better. <laughs> yeah, precisely. 100%. Wait, no, Helen McCrory was in a Sam movie. She was in Their Finest. The score is by Michelino Bichelia. And it was produced by January Films, Sons of Manuel, Les Productions, Balthazar, Walking the Dog, Julia Rosenberg, Jerome Dopfer, Eric Goosens, and Anton Robbins. And it was distributed by Elevision Pictures in Canada, Noir Films in France, and The Searchers in Belgium. The plot is this. The true story of Charlotte Salomon, a young German-Jewish painter who comes of age in Berlin on the eve of the Second World War. Fiercely imaginative and deeply gifted, she dreams of becoming an artist. Her first love applauds her talent, which emboldens her resolve. When anti-Semitic policies inspire violent mobs, she escapes to the safety of the south of France. There she begins to paint again and finds new love. But her work is interrupted, this time by a family tragedy that reveals an even darker secret. Believing that only an extraordinary act will save her, she embarks on the monumental adventure of painting her life story. That's kind of whack. 
I'm not a huge fan of this plot summary. I think that for the most part, it hits the events of the plot, but not the vibe of the film. Yeah, I think you're right in that. And we'll get to the plot soon, but I want to get through our critical response first. Yeah. This movie received a 71% on the Rotten Tomatoes tomato meter and 90% from Rotten Tomatoes audience, which I think is way too high. The critic consensus reads, while it lacks the spark of its subject's remarkable work, Charlotte offers a worthy introduction to a remarkable, albeit tragic, real-life story. And I think that's true. Perfect consensus. It is not as cool as her paintings, and it is a cool story that they didn't handle as well as they could have. It was very interesting to me for so many reasons. I would not give it 90%, and I'm surprised by the audience score being so high on Rotten Tomatoes. Me too. Particularly when you hear the Metacritic score, which is 58% from the critics and no user score is available on Metacritic, which reads to me that either not enough Metacritic users watched it or they (laughs) didn't open that one up for user scoring. And Letterboxd has given it a 3.3, which honestly is above average and I feel is weird for Letterboxd, but also it's a super artsy movie for us, so that kind of makes sense. Very much First of all, this movie only has like 278 reviews on Letterboxd. Like it doesn't have that many. So I feel like if you're watching this movie and reviewing it on Letterboxd, like I think there's a little bit of selection bias or whatever. Like something is going on in that only the people that are going to like this movie watch this movie. It's not really like a a movie for something else. Unless you're us and you're freaking crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Charlotte was an international co-production between Canada, Belgium and France, hence the three distributors. And its producer, Julia Rosenberg, fell in love with Charlotte Salomon as an artist at the age of 13 when she was first given a collection of her work. This movie so radically reads one 13-year-old girl's hyperfixation. I cannot articulate enough how much it tracks that Julia Rosenberg was like, you know who really fucks? Charlotte Salomon. I'm going to make a whole ass movie about her that looks like it was animated by a 13-year-old. And for that, I guess we stand. Also, girl, no. get it together. We do not stand the animation kind of blue. When I was little, I had the collected work of Goya. I loved that thing, like an unreasonable amount. And I was hyper fixated on Saturn devouring his son. I really thought that painting was super cool. (laughs) So the fact that you had a collected works of Goya book as a child is so, oh my God. So many things make sense. I need to talk to your mom. (laughs) I should clarify that it belonged to my parents. But I just really like to look at it. So I would sneak over and take it off the shelf. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I would flip to Saturn devouring his son. And I would just look at it in awe because it was oh my so God. scary and so beautiful. Oh I also my God. really liked the one of the... <laughs> I like the one of the dog where it looks like the dog is drowning or you're in a hole and both are bad. And on a lighter note, I really liked Las Meninas, but that one's not nearly as fun. <laughs> I can't believe you right now. I can't, yeah, I can't believe you right now. <laughs> I, but imagine I just imagine made- present day Elizabeth just freaking out over Goya's like dark period where he just like went crazy and painted shit on his wall <laughs> that was like Saturn devouring his son and the witches and stuff. Oh my god. Imagine if I had really hyperfixated on that though and made like a Goya animated biography. <laughs> like that's what this movie would be. And it would rip and I'd be famous. <laughs> trademark trademark that idea it's for me it's mine nobody else can have the goya animated biography i'm gonna do it biopic it's mine i do feel like her art looked neat i'd never heard of charlotte salomon before this movie and so i guess it, either it introduced me to her it achieved its goal what i saw of her art was cool like i thought that 
although the rest of the animation was not very compelling the scenes where they showed like real art were super dope like there's a scene where charlotte yeah. goes into the sistine chapel with another woman and the real sistine chapel art is there and it looks super sick just like in loving vincent flashback to that other episode from search season go listen to it a lot of the cut scenes were her actual art and i thought that those were neat like every scene of her actual art that i saw i was like wow she was a good artist too bad we couldn't do this in the style of loving vincent where we saw her actual mm-hmm. art going on i recognize that loving vincent took a lot of work and that it is not reasonable to expect that from other animated movies depicting artists but if there had been any element of expressionism in the animation style, I would have been happy. Like they didn't need to like recreate oil paintings that mimic her style for this to be a hit for me. I would have just preferred the animation style to be like any more interesting. It was very much giving like Bible study animations that you watch at Sunday school. Like it was just, I don't want to say low budget because certainly they took a lot of time in those scenes that Alexandra is talking about to like make the animation fun in those ways but also like it just seemed really basic in all the ways that were not the art yes and that was boring to watch for those who have not seen this movie don't first of all and second if you've ever seen caillou it is kind of (laughs) yeah kind of like it's giving caillou well first of all it's 2d animation which Mm -hmm. can be really cool i personally love 2d animation i think it looks really cool But this was just so incredibly flat. The people were just basically outlines. They didn't have really specific features. And it just felt, I don't know. I know that this style of animation is kind of like in vogue right now because whenever I watch the Oscars and they play the shorts of animation that are nominated for Best Animated Picture, I'm always like, what is going on here? Why do they look like that? And I don't know if it's like a reaction against Disney Pixar movies all looking the same way. But I personally am not a huge fan of the way that animated movies are looking kind of like outlines presently. And this one is the epitome of that. And it's just like everyone looked like shit. It looks like if you made Archer bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, like some parts of it were cool. I feel like in the same way that in Sleeping Beauty, the background looks really sick. Like it's clearly a painted background that they're just moving things against. That's kind of how I felt here. And then some parts of the background looked really cool. Like there's a part where she goes to a lake and the sunset looks really sick and the clouds and the sunset like mixed together look really, really cool. But then the people who are the focus look awful, like Caillou-esque. And I mean that in a mean way. I did not care for the way that this movie looked. Yeah. Plus, like the movie covers like over a decade. Like she goes from a teenager to like in her mid-20s. And the only sign of her changing is that her hair changes style. Like she doesn't look taller or older or more developed in any way. My other huge complaint with the animation is that I know in my head that animation is not just for kids and that lots of adult movies can be animated and are. But Charlotte Salomon has sex two times in this movie as an animated character. And both times I was like, why would you show me an animated naked body? Like that looks so incredibly wrong. I would like to clarify... That there is no sex scene in this movie. Yeah. There's only post-coital scenes in this movie. But there are yeah. several animated naked bodies, which I didn't care for. Yeah. I feel very similarly because I feel like I really struggle with adult animation. Like, I know that that's like a bias that I have, that I don't like it. And I probably should get hip to it. There is content that is created for adults that is animated that I enjoy. But nothing about the way that this movie was animated, other than the presence of naked bodies, was giving me adult content. 
which I just feel like if it's going to be for adults, it should be a little more sophisticated maybe in some way, either in the writing or in the visual representation. And I just felt like both weren't like it very much felt like it felt like this was a movie for kids. And then there are just two sex scenes and you're like, okay, so clearly it's not for kids. And they say the K word, like the, the racial yes. bias against oh my Jews God, yes. is pretty explicit. So like, clearly it's not for children. This movie was made in 2021, which I know that you guys know we're going through his films chronologically and we're almost at the end. So like you probably intuited that, but I just want to remind everyone that there's no like Maybe the technology was bad or like maybe they they weren't hip to not using the K word in media. And I'm sure the people that wrote it were Jewish. I didn't check. Kira Knightley isn't. And none of the actors that say that word are. But yeah, it just really caught me off guard. I was like, whoa. I agree. I also made a note about that when I was watching this movie. I was like, that feels like a weird choice to include. Like in 2021. Are you kidding? I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. Plus, like, it's a movie in translation, too. Like, they didn't make it originally in French or anything, but they certainly, like, didn't have to include... Anyway, I was just confused. When I heard that, I was like, what? (laughs) What year is it? (laughs) Like, Yeah. I just... A lot of the, like, pieces of design in this movie were weird to me. Like, the pacing was also shit. Originally, this movie, the first scene is that Charlotte Salomon appears in this white dress, and she is packing up her art, and she gives it to someone. She's like keep this for me basically and then flash back to the past so that we lead up to that point in her life a little postmodernism for postmodernism, you postmodernism yeah so that we don't know exactly why she's doing that then we just follow her throughout her life throughout her late teens and early 20s as she first falls in love with her mother's accompanist until she finds out that she is the other woman in that relationship and she is attending art school and gets kicked out because she's jewish and she sees the rise of the nazis and things of this nature so she kind of sees her home country being taken over by people who are hostile to her identity and then her parents send her off to france to go be with her grandparents and she this whole time has been pursuing art but finally when she gets to france because she kind of gets to do art on her own now not now that she's not in school she starts pursuing art more and she falls in love with another person who's also staying on this same estate as her grandparents stan claflin notably is this character, Eric Nagler. Then, as soon as she arrives in France to see her grandparents, she finds out that her grandmother is deeply depressed and that her grandfather is not being cool about it. And they move away from this estate for reasons that I want to talk to you about later. Mostly that her grandfather needs like more control in his life. And her grandmother commits suicide and then her grandfather like really freaks out on her and she learns that her family has a long history of suicide like that basically every woman in her family has committed suicide including her mother who she previously thought died of influenza and her aunt and her cousins and everyone basically and then when her grandfather becomes super uncool towards her she moves back in to the estate with this woman who was hosting them and with sam claflin's character eric nagler they get married she has a kid, and then finally, because both of them are Jewish and they are in occupied France, the Nazis show up and take both of them to Auschwitz, and that is the end. And I just feel that the pacing was poor. I feel that it could have been a better subsection of her life, because the way that we end the movie is that she is at this estate, and she decides, it's time for me to paint every single scene of my life story. And so she just does. But we don't see any of the process of that. I think, essentially, the movie is supposed to lead us up through her decision to take her experience in her teaching and painting and make this huge massive project and i think that if i were to make a story about her knowing nothing about her other than what i saw in this movie i would not have chosen 
that strategy. I feel like I might have shown her life, but then I would have spent more of the movie focusing on making the art, which is the point. Mm. I disagree because there's nothing interesting about making art, the actual making of it, you know, like the interesting part of art is like what inspires you. Sometimes there are interesting like art making techniques, but certainly not like an hour's worth of material for a movie. But I think that what you've identified is like a really important flaw of the movie, which is that it assumes that the audience has seen life or theater because it makes several references to those. And I'm sure that if you, like the producer of this movie, had seen a collection of her work and wanted to know more about how she arrived at those scenes that she's collected from her life, that this movie would be like helpful in framing that or even just like giving you more of an insight into her life. But it doesn't really talk very much about life or theater. At, At the end of the movie, there's some like archival footage of people that knew her in real life talking about her and what it felt like to discover her paintings after her death because she's killed like the first day she arrives at Auschwitz. It says that at the end of the movie. That's interesting, more interesting to me than the actual movie. So I feel like if they had a way to like incorporate that in a way that matched the style, maybe that would be more interesting. I agree that the pacing is off. I agree it should be changed, but I don't think that watching her paint would be interesting. Yeah, I'll just throw in that the reason she is killed her first day at Auschwitz is because she is six months pregnant when she arrives and it was pretty much standard procedure at Auschwitz to kill pregnant women and young children. Whereas her husband, Eric Nagler, was I think he like lived for a couple months after that. I don't remember exactly when he died, but he also died at Auschwitz. But yeah, I agree. Like I couldn't pinpoint what part of the story I wanted to see in this film, but it wasn't what I saw. Yeah. There is a documentary about her, which I think probably I would have enjoyed more. But I haven't seen it, so I don't know that. I feel like I have consumed a lot of coming-of-age stories that happen in Nazi Germany. And every time I watch one, it feels so like I walked a mile in the snow uphill both ways to all other coming-of-age stories. Like, how do you make a coming-of-age story after you watch one that happened where literally your whole family is killed or something similar, you know? like, And I know that's why people pick them to write coming-of-age stories about. But like the events of that particular period really curb stomp every other like licorice pizza-esque coming of age story yeah i do feel like not to continue to directly compare this movie to loving vincent which we saw for search this season but i think is a fair comparison because it came out it's so similar and it came out so close together and i've certainly seen other artist biopics that are not animated and i feel like these compare more than they do to non-animated artist movies But like this movie just, first of all, I think I would have liked it better if it used her art. And second, like Vincent Van Gogh is so famous. His art, anyone probably would recognize. Even if by some chance no one had heard of Vincent Van Gogh, they've probably seen his artwork somewhere on purpose or on accident. Yeah, every painting they pulled was like so iconic. And they started with that painting and then like moved it from there, you know? And Charlotte Salomon does not have that. Yeah. There were things about this movie that I liked style-wise. For example, okay, so during the title sequences, it plays like bug sounds, like cricket sounds. When I first heard it, I was like, is this supposed to promote like a sense of peace? Because I had no idea this movie was about the Holocaust. So I was like, (laughs) I I went into this completely blind. I was like, is this supposed to promote like a sense of peace? Is her art going to be kind of naturalist? Is she like a quiet person? But then at the very final frame of the movie, when the Nazis have arrived at their base camp, to abduct them they first look for her husband 
he goes and she follows him off screen and you kind of hear them getting beaten up but you don't see that you see first her watching him get beat up and then she leaves the screen and we stay looking at just the woods and once the sounds of them getting beaten up are quiet then you only hear bugs and like more crickets and like summer sounds i thought that was a really nice parallel and i really liked it i don't think that that's probably a very popular opinion but i did like the both of them leave the screen and you just hear the sounds of nature like coming back then we cut to the post-credit scenes where you see like and these people died in this way and here is some documentary footage of her family talking about how she died and how they felt rediscovering her art so i thought it was kind of neat i also liked that part i thought that most of the sound was good i generally had no complaints about the voice acting though sometimes i felt like it could have been better but i don't know anything about voice acting and I liked that particular element of sound mixing that you were talking about. And also like the half of the first scene happens with no visuals. Like you just hear them talking because you're like in the trunk and then she opens the trunk. I, on the topic of voice acting, the whole time I was like, why are these people doing the voice acting? Like Helen McCrory, I feel like is a pretty good voice actor in that I have heard her do voice acting. She has a distinct enough voice that not one that a lot of people associate with a certain actor. Mm-hmm. But the second that I heard Carrie Knightley start talking as Charlotte, I was like, why is Carrie Knightley voice acting here? Maybe it's just me and I'm just too obsessed with the 2005 Pride and Prejudice. But when I heard her start talking, I was like, that's Kara Knightley. Why is she here? I've never heard her voice act before. And I also feel that people recognize her voice too much to make her a voice actor. I disagree. Okay. <laughs> I also feel like I have consumed a fair amount of Kira Knightley content. I've probably only seen the Pride and Prejudice 2005 movie like twice in my life. And I don't think that either time I watched the whole movie, but I watched Curse of the Black Pearl like 27,000 times. And I've seen like every Pirates of the Caribbean movie multiple times. I've also seen other movies with her in it, like Atonement. I, I have consumed a lot of Kira Knightley content. And when Charlotte first started talking, I wasn't like, oh my God, that's Kira Knightley. That's so distracting to me. And to be honest with you, when Sam started talking, I wasn't like, oh my God, that's Sam Claflin. That's so distracting to me. But I was like, why are all these very British actors with very British accents doing these characters who are not English at all? 100%. It didn't help that I recognized all their voices. We're also looking for them. A lot of the time when I watch animated movies, I can figure out who is doing it without like looking at the cast list. But it isn't always as immediately apparent as here. And I feel like, I don't know, I personally feel that it is easier to consume an animated picture when I don't know who is the voice actor or... I don't have that problem at all. I'm not saying it's not a struggle because I'm sure there are other people that are distraught. And I've read a ton of Letterboxd reviews, not on this movie, but of other movies where people are like, I was just so distracted by the fact that that's, you know, so-and-so. So I know that this is a problem other people face, but mostly I'm just like, say more things. I want to hear more. <laughs> I want to hear you say more things as this weird woodland chipmunk. Maybe what was bothering me here is that like their lips were not moving in time with their voices. Mm-hmm. But that could have just been that it was made in different languages. Like maybe it was not originally in English. There is a French version in which Marion Cotillard plays Charlotte because Marion Cotillard was also a producer on this film. So I don't know, maybe that was it. But it could have been it. Yeah. That could have been why we didn't like the animation so much also. Yeah. Just one other note. You already mentioned that most of these voice actors are super British. Also, not a single voice actor in this movie is Jewish. And particularly when they started saying racial slurs, I was like, hmm, feels a little weird that none of the voice actors are Jewish. Yeah. And once again, I mean, maybe in other iterations of this film, the Jewish representation is better. 
but it just feels like again for 2021 in a film (laughs) distributed in america that maybe we should be doing better yeah also like it just bothers me because you can't tell me that there aren't jewish actors that wouldn't take those roles you know yeah i'll just point you to the prince of egypt (laughs) yeah it's it's not like the subject matter is like so controversial that no Jewish actor would take it. Like, there's nothing about this movie that couldn't have been voiced by someone who is actually Jewish. 100%. Nor did they need to be British in any capacity. <laughs> like, yeah. all why are so many of them British? It Maybe was weird that they like were British. The... They didn't even try to do German accents. Yeah. Well, usually they don't. Usually in those, like, little period pieces, if anyone is any flavor of not english speaking they just use a british accent to make you feel like you're immersed but like you didn't need to do that in an animated movie yeah i I don't i don't even think you need to do that in a a live action movie how did you feel about sam's voice acting Uh, i felt about sam's voice acting the same way i felt about everyone else's voice acting which is like this is so clearly like heavily scripted which is again why i was getting like this is for children vibes from it i just felt like everything was very like tightly controlled And there wasn't a lot of room for error. I don't know. I just felt like everyone's rhythm and like syntax was very similar. And I felt like it was hard to differentiate people's voice acting performances from one another. So I don't really have a lot of complaints about Sam other than like it could have been better. (laughs) I 100% agree. The only thing that really stood out to me about his performance was that when Charlotte and he go to the doctor because she has like passed out or something and they find out that she's pregnant he puts off this weird laugh that i just thought was super whack sounding and i've definitely heard sam claflin laugh before and this one just sounded so weird it was just like really sudden something about the like direction must have been really like iron fisted because everyone sounds the same derogatory yeah in a bad way yeah yeah Everyone's speech is a little, just a little bit stilted and not in a way that it's alien sounding, but just enough that it's off. Which makes it hard to pay attention to. Well, that and the movie is boring. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like something else that bothered me about like the construction of this movie, in addition to just I was kind of off put by the voice acting and the animation was super blah. Every single shot, basically, everyone is wearing blue. Charlotte wears blue the entire movie. All of her accessories are blue. Her room is blue. Her stepmother wears blue. And I didn't know what was the point. The whole time I was like, is there a function to the blue color other than like it was going to be a sad movie? But no, her eyes are blue. The title font is blue. The transition font is blue. And the whole time I was just like, is it sad girl hours or what? Like, I really and truly believe that it's just that she's sad. Yeah. And at one point she was wearing white, but it's just because that's her wedding dress boring i think and you can correct me but i think the scene where she's wearing yellow is mostly to match someone else but also it's when she's in art school right so theoretically she's like really happy that's like the peak of joy for the film for her she's like exploring her own individuality whereas for the rest of the movie she's like taking care of other people i felt when i was first watching that because i didn't know who she was going to end up with i felt that maybe she was wearing yellow because that was supposed to indicate to us that this girl she was talking to barbara was like going to be her lover or something because they were both wearing yellow but she got married to a man and barbara never showed back up so yeah this movie was not supposed to be gay but it had ample opportunity to be it really did there's this one scene when i talked about the sistine chapel where she goes into the sistine chapel with some woman oddly who's one who was like hosting her and her grandparents where they just stare at each other on the floor and i'm like is this gay but it's not 
so many opportunities to be gay. This is exactly what I was talking about in Last Night in Soho, though, where like women admiring other women can come across sometimes as gay coded. I did not have a lot of thoughts about the color. I'm sure that it is important because it is a movie about art, but there is a lot of blue and there is also a lot of blue in a lot of art. (laughs) I think that blue conveys a lot of depth of emotion. And for that reason, it's good for these kinds of movies, right? Because blue can be like happy, but it can also be sad. And I know that's true of like yellow, which can be happy, but also like sickening. But I think that like blue conveys a lot of meaning and depth, particularly to artists and art. And so it's relied on heavily, perhaps too heavily in this film. Or, I mean, it also could have just been like that animated trope of everyone wears the same outfit the whole time. Like certainly her mother or stepmother Paolo wore the same outfit the entire movie. On the topic of gay vibes, though, this movie handled basically every topic very poorly. Every single theme it brought up, I was like, that's kind of whack that you would do that. First of all, it was very emo. It was so emo. Like was revealed by the blue, but it was just so incredibly emo. I felt like it brought up a lot of the themes of her life without exploring them at all, which I suppose is fine if you're just trying to do like, it felt like a book report about her life, you know? It doesn't feel like it's exploring any of these themes, really. It just is like, and then she faced oppression because she was Jewish and like, we're going to throw a bunch of like depictions of hate crimes and also racial slurs in here so that you know how bad it was to be Jewish. And I was like, dog, I already knew, first of all. And also like, you could have done this without those two simple things. And then with depression and suicide also, it was like, we're going to depict these super graphic attempts on her grandmother's life as a means to communicate that like she is deeply troubled and everyone in her family is. And I was like, I didn't need to see her cut her grandma down from the rafter to know that her grandma was depressed. Like I knew that from the first shot of the grandma and the fact that she's a Jewish woman living in Germany, (laughs) but whatever. Even the smaller things like the accompanist that she falls in love with gives her his scrapbook of being depressed from the war. Oh, yeah. And like he says some super metal trauma. I was the corpse who couldn't stop hearing the cries of other corpses. I couldn't wait for life to love. What matters is not whether life loves us, but whether we love life. And I was like, okay, let's explore that. And then we didn't. (laughs) Yeah. There were some really metal lines in this movie. Like when she says the sad ones feel more true. I just felt like every take was like half baked, you know? And there was lots of like almost explorations of parenting and like her stepmother, Paula, talks to her and she's like, I was just trying to spare you the pain of like being an artist in this hard time. She's like, Paula, but I didn't ask to be spared. And even like a little bit of conflict in art history where her professor in art school is like talking about how realism is the only way and you got to capture beauty precisely. And then we find out that she's a like expressionist and the accompanist is like, you're clearly governed by strong emotions. And she's like expressionism too. And I was like, yeah, tell him all about it. Expressionism. And there's like true art is the chaos inside of us. It's not about decorating dinner plates or advertisements. So I think maybe that's what I wanted out of the plot is for it to be more about like her finding her artistic voice and expressionism because like it is very different from everything else that we see around her. But yeah, I agree with you. Like every single topic was handled very badly. And the principal one was depression. I also just about expressionism before we move on. I feel like this movie had a really good opportunity to define expressionism or integrate it into the animation style or even provide some point of... Okay, so like the beginning of her life, as you might imagine, is very like straightforward. She likes art. She goes to art school. She learns all these things about art. And then she starts experiencing trauma 
And she starts painting the way that she feels. And she uses expressionism to do that. And I just, now that I'm sitting here thinking about it, I'm like, why didn't this movie transition animation styles halfway through it? When she starts going through all of this stuff, why didn't they switch to more expressionist animation styles? Great point. Literally, period. I know you guys can't see this, but while Elizabeth has been talking, I've just been freaking out because she's so right. I've been like, yes, holy shit. Literally everything about the artistic choices here I felt was so flat. You and I have been to so many art museums together, and I know that you know that I love German Expressionism. Yeah, it's you do. so dope. And I know that you hate German Expressionism because it is so emo. It's but scary. I just feel like it is such a distinct art form. And if you're going to make a movie about German Expressionism and about a practitioner of German Expressionism who died in the Holocaust... Maybe you should incorporate some of the cool lookingness of it, you know? And that's all I have to say about the art. It's just that it was such a huge letdown. When I learned yeah. what this movie was about, I was like, what? Why does it look like this? Definitely. Disappointing to have an artist movie that looks bad. Yes, literally. <laughs> Period. And I guess you could argue that like the reason that they had a simplified animation style was to let her art speak for itself, but they don't show enough of her art for that to be a good argument. Not at all. Not at all. They have a couple of pieces of her like portfolio that show up one time when she shows pictures that she did to illustrate this accompanist's diary. And there's a couple of like, like I said, those cutscenes that are her art. And at the very end, when she is like completed her art project, there are a couple of things that she has. And there's one other that I want to talk to you more about with our themes. But just all of the pieces of art, I was like, wow, those are so sick looking. Like, why is the movie not look like that? Because they were all very distinct and colorful and like energetic and the opposite of the animation style that we got. But I do feel like because this movie was one, so depressing and also two, about depression, we should probably talk about how it handled depression. I guess since the movie was depressing and about depression, we should talk about the depression. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't tell if you were agreeing with me or making fun of me, but yes, it's both. I am. We should. Yes, the depression. For much of the movie, I was like, I don't understand what the goal of this theme is. I understand that like it's her life. So to some extent, you just include it because it's what happened to her. But I just felt like we're building a lot here, but not towards anything. And then at the end of the movie, one of the found footagey things that they show is this interviewer. They ask her dad, like, do you think that her death was like predestined or inevitable. Like, do you think that if she wasn't killed at Auschwitz, she would have taken her own life or been killed in some other tragic way? Like, basically, do you think that she would have lived through her natural life, even if there was no Holocaust? Which was and such a whack question. Totally yeah, whack question to, to ask her dad, a biographer, yeah. completely different, you know, but like her dad, are you fuck? And of course he's like, no, like her death was not predestined. That was an atrocity committed on my daughter, which is true. <laughs> but I just think that that question is like so central to what the movie is trying to get at with this whole like looming threat of like losing her mind essentially like she's so concerned the reason she decides to paint her whole life is because she thinks that at some point she's going to lose control over her like mental facilities and take her own life which is like yeah. this crazy looming threat which again could have been displayed better through expressionism. I just think it's really interesting this idea of like would she just have killed herself anyway or would she have like died in some other tragic way is a very interesting read on someone's life. The depression in this movie starts so early too. So like there's this scene close to the beginning of the movie where she is sitting with her mom and her mom is just like staring out the window in a way that just speaks 
of so deep depression to me. But then immediately after, like, she sits down on the bed and her mom is not there and she's picking up her mom's necklace. And I'm like, so obviously her mom killed herself. That's what happened there. And then instead of saying anything about that, they're just like, oh, yeah, mom is dead. And later she says something about like, oh, yeah, my mom died of influenza. And I was like, no way did your mom die of influenza. The vibes are off if she did. And Charlotte just seems to carry such deep sadness within her, both because of the wearing blue all the time and the way that she speaks and the way that the movie looks. At one point when she's talking to her first boyfriend, the accompanist, she is showing off this painting called Death and the Maiden. And I do encourage everyone here who is listening to look up Charlotte Salomon's Death and the Maiden because it's a very metal painting one. And also, I think it just kind of speaks to the depth of the depression that is within this girl this entire movie and like the depression that she was working from because he says to her it looks as though she wants something from death something only he can provide are you the girl the girl who is embracing death and she's like maybe she doesn't say it like that that's just my take on it but it just feels so much like even at this point when she has other than having a dead mom not that much like going wrong in her life like not a lot of causes that we can see for depression it just gives so much like internalized sadness and like not knowing what you want out of life and all sorts of things like that and they also have a little conversation that's like happiness runs much deeper than sadness do you paint happy moments or just sad ones and she says like elizabeth mentioned i think earlier sad ones always feel more true and it's just so emo. That sounds like a lyric from Link 182 or something, you know? It's just so incredibly emo. And the whole movie is like that. Just occasionally they'll they'll throw out like five really emo lines in a row and then the rest of it is boring. That's it. That's the movie. I definitely agree. That whole her whole relationship with the accompanist voiced by Mark Strong, I don't remember what his name is, but it doesn't matter, is really interesting to me because he's kind of just like obsessed with how sad she is he's also significantly older than her which is kind of yucky and then she finds out he has like a wife or a girlfriend or something and he's like she's the other woman oh a fiance which alexandra mentioned before and death and the maiden is pretty metal she is deeply sad the whole time and then and then she's like i can't believe that everyone in my family is so depressed but also that do be kind of like legit that's definitely an experience people have is like realizing that something that you do is neurodivergent but you don't realize it for a really long time because everyone in your family does it of course i'm sad everyone in my family is sad this is just the female experience because every woman in my family feels this way excellent point yeah like So we go kind of most of the movie until she goes to France to be with her grandparents, not realizing that she is depressed, other than that she says some emo stuff sometimes, and not knowing what has gone on with the rest of her family. There's like that like kind of teaser that her mom probably committed suicide, and at some point she encounters like a photograph of her mom and someone else, and they're like, oh, that's your aunt. She died under mysterious circumstances, and you're like, okay, so she also committed suicide. We're not going to say it, but that's fine. And instead, when she arrives in France, her grandmother, who was earlier in the movie, the first time we saw her, like, fairly vibrant, like she was, you know, a regular person. And then as soon as Charlotte gets to France, her grandmother is nonverbal and says things like, it's just life, Charlotte, it doesn't matter, and things like that, where it's just extremely defined warning signs. Like, if you've ever encountered a warning sign before, you know what they are. 
And her grandfather is also not helping. Her grandfather, we find out, has been like turning away the doctor who was trying to give her grandmother psychiatric care. Yeah, that guy sucks. I hate the yeah. grandfather. Yeah, the grandfather does. He's like not well adjusted or mentally well. Here's the part of the depression that bothered me. I, the viewer, understand that someone is depressed. And also, if this movie is for adults, then I don't think that I should have to see suicide depicted on screen. I also don't think children need to see suicide depicted on screen. But in this movie, there's an incredibly graphic depiction of an attempted suicide. So basically, like Charlotte, if this is going to be triggering for you, you might want to take a moment and fast forward about one minute. Charlotte comes home. Here's some ruckus. She goes upstairs. She sees that her grandmother has tried to hang herself and her grandfather is trying to like lift her up so that this attempted suicide is only an attempt and not successful. And Charlotte has to help him lift her grandma and also cut her down with a pair of scissors. So Charlotte does both of those things. The grandma is fine physically, though obviously not mentally. And for the rest of the grandma's depiction in the movie, she has like the bruise from the rope around her neck, which I also think is very graphic. Then a mere like minute later, Charlotte comes home on a different day and her grandma has jumped out of the window and we see her grandma on the ground outside from Charlotte's vantage point at the window. And I just feel like that is so much less gruesome than the attempt earlier, but also both are graphic and unnecessary. Like that death could have happened off camera. I mean, air quotes, because it's animated. And like, I'm not saying we need to tiptoe around the idea of suicide or like not depict things because it's scary or hard. But I just didn't think that how graphic that scene was, was worth it. I didn't feel like there was any payoff in depicting it that aggressively. Anyway, I just I have a real problem with how graphic this movie was for how like bland everything else was like it. It just felt like that moment was so much darker than everything else that happened in the movie, except the fact that like it still had this incredibly simplistic animation style. So I was like, I feel like I'm watching, I feel like I'm watching Winnie the Pooh commit murder. Like, I just don't understand (laughs) why it is happening the way that it is happening on the screen. I agree. Seeing the rope scar really bothered me. It just like, I don't know, something about the extremely adult themes being animated also made it feel really hollow. Like, it felt that no matter how they handled the topic, it was going to be bad because it was animated. And I realize that that is a bias that I have, but I still felt like, like you said, the, like, simplistic childlike animation with the extremely graphic nature of what was on screen was just discordant in a way that I can't articulate. It just felt and read wrong. But yeah, basically, after this, Charlotte's grandpa becomes super mean to her. Not that he wasn't already. He sucks. But he was saying things like, when are you going to commit suicide? And she was saying things like, I feel it inside me, the same demon that haunted so many of my family. Because we find out that literally everyone in her family has committed suicide. Which, to be fair to the grandpa, that would fuck me up too. I think also something about the grandpa is that if anyone is interested in reading more about the Holocaust and about like depression and the masculine experience in it, I really highly recommend Nekoma Touch's Resilience and Courage, Women and Men in the Holocaust. But I feel like the grandpa is kind of a perfect example of what she was talking about in that book, which is that there was this real conflict going on in his masculinity in that he had left Germany and he was living. He had been invited by Audley, who was the woman that they went to the Sistine Chapel with. And that I mentioned earlier, had some slight gay vibes to her. He and his wife were living as dependents in her home because she said that she had the space 
And she knew that it was basically unlivable in Germany and she didn't want them to be stuck there. So they were living there and he was clearly having a very hard time stomaching being a dependent. And so as soon as Charlotte arrived and there was someone else to handle grandma and grandma's depression, he was like, okay, now we're jumping ship. We're going to go live, you know, just outside in the, in the town of Nice. And just everything about him from the things that he was saying to the way that he was carrying himself read that this was like a very proud man who had been brought low by like war and by pain throughout his entire life, you know, throughout his like sister-in-law, his daughter, and now his wife committing suicide and like living through the Holocaust and being kicked out of his country and like having to live on the mercy of someone else. It just like to be nice to the grandpa, he was having a hard life and really struggling to internalize how to live his masculinity and things like that through that experience. Yeah, I think that's like the perfect read. I think that in a really fucked up way, he might be the most developed character in this story. Yeah. Which is super weird since it is a movie about a completely different person and also a woman. Like yes. to have <laughs> to have this man be like probably someone with the most full character arc mm-hmm. derogatory is absolutely crazy bonkers bananas, but I think that's the perfect read on his whole vibe. Like we've been saying, most of the topics in this movie felt very poorly handled, but I did feel that the grandfather revealed the themes nicely in a way that I wasn't expecting because he freaking sucks. Well, that about brings us to the end. I just want to, since we're close to the end, talk about the very end of this movie, which is her creating her work of art, you know, the purpose for the film. She talks a lot about memory here because she's recreating her entire life. And at one point she says, it's every memory of my life, including some that I didn't remember until I painted them and some that never happened, but they're no less true. And saying it's like pulling something from yourself time and time again, like a splinter. And it just felt very much like she was trying to articulate that memories are very painful, which kind of feeds back into that depression thing. But also including some that I didn't remember until I painted them or some that never happened kind of speaks to that second part of the title, which is Life or Theater. I'm not an art historian, nor have I ever been exposed to Charlotte Salomon before, but it kind of felt like she was trying to articulate something that was my life is either so crazy that it's hard to believe it sometimes or that sometimes it feels as though we are just acting in our own lives against a backdrop that we were provided with, like the Holocaust. But yeah, I just thought that some of the comments that they made about memory and like living your life were interesting, but not interesting enough to warrant the film. Those were in many ways my favorite parts. Like, I think that that's probably now that I've been sitting here on it for like 45 minutes, that is probably what you meant by the like, I wanted to see her creating her art more is like what she had to say about her own art in this movie was very interesting to me. And the things that she had to say about memory were also really interesting to me. But I just feel like she just drops these like kind of metal Tumblr quotes about them. And then we don't develop them really at all. And you're the audience just left to kind of sit with them and draw your own conclusions, which is fine. But you're not given anything to draw from other than just like her saying that line and then you using your own life and like a little bit hers. I just feel like there wasn't enough material to really explore memory in the way that I wanted them to. Maybe if it yeah. had some kind of cool postmodern twist where you found out that, like, again, if they were using more of her style, you could argue that, like, the whole movie is, like, her is life or theater and you get to decide, like, how much of it is true. But I just felt like there wasn't enough intentionality in that storytelling device if it's there at all. Because, I mean, I know that, like, you start out the movie as the paintings and, like, she comes back to them and you see her whole life. So in many ways, I suppose we are her memories, but I don't appreciate it. I thought it could have been better. And I think that's kind of the tagline for the film is it could have been better, but it was fine. Could have been better. Go see Loving Vincent instead. 
don't though like we didn't like that one either but it was so <laughs> much better than this one this one at least had a plot that's true I, love yeah, it had a plot too it was just harder to watch because of barely the... i think overall i would give this movie a two I'm going to give this movie two stars. I feel like this is like the first draft of a movie. I know that those don't really exist, <laughs> but I this feels like a good first draft. Like, come back to me with more development in these three categories. I agree with you. I think that it maybe could have been better if, if it was blending live action and animation mm-hmm. or if it was blending her art and this flat animation, then it might have lended this more of like a what is the truth? What is real versus like, you know, what is she manufacturing? What is she misremembering? Things like that. Or like, what is she fantasizing about because she's living through trauma? Yeah, just like, I don't know, I wanted more or I wanted different. And that's it. It was so boring. Like, it was less than an hour and a half and I was still bored out of my mind. I think I would give Sam, honestly, I didn't really care for Sam very much in this role. I think I would maybe give him like one star. He wasn't doing anything wrong, but he wasn't really doing anything either. Yeah, I agree. I have a really hard time evaluating voice acting just because it's really hard to tell what they are doing. I think that I would give Sam a two, maybe a three if I was feeling generous, just because like nothing about his voice acting bothered me other than that one laugh. But nothing about it was particularly inspiring. Nothing about it felt like he was giving like an Oscar-worthy performance or anything. So overall, a movie on the lower end of mid that I will not be watching again and I wouldn't recommend to anyone. Well, thank you guys for listening to this episode with us this week. As always, if you liked this episode, you can go ahead and give us five stars on the podcast listening platform of your choice. That would be really great. Or you can give us a different star rating that you think might be appropriate, and I would be okay with that. But if it is a one-star rating, this has been the Joe Rogan experience. I guess I can't keep making that joke. I've hit my quota. Next week, I'll think of something new. You can also follow us on social media at Where Do I Know Them From. I would appreciate if you would do that if you felt like we saved you some time so that you don't have to watch this terrible, terrible movie. But yes, tune in next week for our very last Sam Claflin movie. I'm looking forward to it, and I hope you are too. And our announcement of who we're going to do next. Oh yeah, stay tuned.